Spirit Church. It's nice that this is my second time now. If you weren't here last week, I, my name is Beth Graham. I'm the new lead pastor here at Main City Vineyard, and I couldn't be happier to just be among you. It's been a great first week. Uh, you're so welcoming. The picnic last week was so much fun. Um, it's just been awesome to be here. So uh, welcome. Welcome if you're new. Welcome if you're online. Um, we're just really happy uh, to be able to join together and to get, to get into God's Word together. Amen? So, um, you know, I'm sure the question that all of us have in this season is who? Who is this person up front talking to us that we barely know, came down from New York? Who is Beth? Who is her husband, Paul, that's here with her? And um, I have the same question. Who are all of you? (laughs) I don't know your names. I keep... Please forgive me. You're going to tell me your name like five times, and I'm going to ask you again. What's your name again? So please just, just love me anyway, okay? <laughs> because uh, you know our question is who. We've got a lot of you to learn. Uh, we're so excited. But that's the question you have in a new season, right? Who? There's an even more important question. Who am I? Are all of you? And this is the question that we're going to be looking at over this next season, summer, as we go through this series called Who. And those questions are who is God? That's an important question. We need to be on the same page about that. We need to all know who is this God that we serve? Who are we? Why do we have to be here? What what do we need God for? We're going to talk about that. And then also, who are we to love? What are we called to do? And who who are we supposed to be loving and serving with the love that Jesus? to us, right? So that's where we're going to be going for this whole season, um, and I'm excited about that with you. And, you know, I I want to tell you that, that these questions, while they may seem very ordinary and very simple, are really foundational. In fact, they're behind everything we do. They're the reason that we meet on Sunday morning. They're the reason that we're here. They're the reason why, why in the world would Paul and I pack up all of our worldly goods? in hundreds of boxes, mind you, that are still all over my house. Why would we pack everything all up and come down here? Why would? Why are you here on a Sunday morning? Why do we get together during the week to serve and to help and to learn the Bible? Why do we do that? These questions, the answers to these questions are why. Because God is who we are and who we're supposed to be. So we're gathered here as a result of that, and so I'm, I'm hoping that this will be an exciting series for us to get an understanding of who is this incredible God that we serve. How blessed and lucky we are to be here together to serve him, and how awesome it is to love others. That's, that's what I'm hoping Now, um, if I would start today with this question of who is God, um, which is what we're going to start with today, you might say to yourself, well, all right, if, I, if you ask me the question, who's Beth Graham? I might say something like this. My name is Beth Graham. My maiden name is Russo. I grew up in Rochester, New York. I'm the youngest of five children. I went to college in New Hampshire, met my husband there. We graduated and, uh, and we got married and moved down to the metro New York area. We were there for a time. I was trained in computer science as my major, so I worked in industry, commuted down to the city for many years until I had my three boys. And then we, I stayed home with them as a mom, and then I also was very involved in ministry in the church, began to lead various ministries. In 2012, I went to seminary, finally became a pastor, an associate pastor, and then a lead pastor. And by the way, in May of 2021, I received a call to Pastor Gates at Even Your Church. <laughs> That's my story. 
passionate about? What makes me angry? Who am I close to? What gets me super excited? What's my family like and how did that impact? There's a lot more to know about me. How much more so there's a how awesome and great he is, and we know just such a tiny fraction. I mean, books and books and books and books and books have been written about who is God. Sermons have been preached over and over again about who is this God? Who is, what is he like? And so it was kind of interesting. Um, I put, I'm on two pastor Facebook pages, one for, for Vineyard Pastors and one for my previous denomination, CMA Pastors. And so I put out the question to these two pastor pages, if you had to pick your favorite couple of verses about who is God, what would you pick? Just wondering what hundreds of pastors. I can't believe how different all their answers were. I mean, some of them really focused on kind of the abstract qualities of God, his holiness, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his, his majesty, these kind of off there abstract qualities. Others kind of focus more on things like what he cares about, the poor and the oppressed, and save and salvation for his people. Others focus more about relationship, his love, his compassion. His so this is, this is the God we serve. He is multifaceted. He is so big. And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, Lord, what did I get myself into? How in the world am I going to preach a sermon on who is God? A single sermon, a half hour I got to tell you who is how in the world? The Lord really said to me, just give that big picture of who I am. There's plenty of time for all the details later. We'll be talking about that for years, the details of who God is. But let's start with the big picture of who our God is so that we for why we're here. How does this help us? How is this going to help you practically when you walk out of the door today? How is this going to help you to know the big picture? Well, first of all, it's going to remind you why you're here at all. Why do you show up on a Sunday morning? There's certainly better things we could do on a Sunday morning. It wasn't really good. I remember as a teenager um, coming to faith. I, my family did not go to church growing up. And um, so we, Sunday mornings for us went like this. Slept in late. You watched cartoons. Read the funnies, and my dad would make bacon and eggs. It was awesome. It was the best. It was the best kind of morning. And I got to tell you, and I'm not kidding you, when I was starting to come to this faith and realize that I think I believe in Jesus and I got to go to church, I was like, darn it. Because <laughs> I love my Sunday mornings. I love those lazy Sunday mornings. Church. Only a big is worth our giving up all those things we give up, other things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. Only a big, wonderful, awesome God. That is, that is why we give ourselves to the service of others. That's why we come in, why so many of you have been watching all week long people coming in for grocery giveaways and helping out other people in the office and prayer times. This is why we do it, because we have an incredible God. That's why we do it. So that reminds us of why we're here. But also, knowing who God is keeps things in perspective. Because every church, I don't care where you are, has problems, issues, differences of opinion, and stuff we got to deal with. Every church. But we have we the God we serve. We will deal with those things, but God is first. 
us first, and we have that. That's who we serve together. That's the, the goal that we meet together. And it's also good for our own individual lives, our own lives perspective. Because I know that every single one of us is going through something. We all have trials. We all have challenges. Some of you have some really, really, really hard challenges. It helps to know, first of all, that God loves you and he is there with you. He cares deeply about every one of those challenges, the big and the small. He is walking with you through it. But it also helps, doesn't it, to realize that in the midst of those challenges, up our eyes. We can know that he is there. He is in control. That he is sovereign. That we can trust him with all of those things that we're going through. It helps us, doesn't it, to remember the God who sees us. He can take care of our troubles. Amen. Finally, what this leads us to is worship. If you know who God is, you will become a person of worship. There is no way that you can't because he is so big, so awesome, so great. We're going we're gonna to invite you to worship here. This is, at the end of the day, the response throughout all the scripture when people see the Lord is to worship So I'm going to jump into this, who is God, but before I do, I want to say one more thing. But there may be some of you out there, and usually in a group this size, there's at least a few people, maybe more, who are saying, well, this is all well and good, but how do you really know it's true? How do you really know he's this God? I mean, this God you're describing, how do you know that's real? Is this scientific? Is this intelligent to believe this? Or are you all just a bunch of very nice, but very deluded people? And I really respect that view, in a sense. I respect someone who's saying, I really want to understand this intellectually before I give my whole life to it. That's a really valid question. And so I want to say to you, if that's you this morning, I want to say to you, hang in there this week and come next week. Because next week I'm going to get much more into why we believe what we believe. I do think we need to, even if we do believe, we need to understand why we believe it, that it is intellectually sound. That, that the Bible can be trusted and that it is true. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that in some detail next week. I would say to you that if you have a friend or family member who's a seeker, who's questioning, who's always asking you those questions, how do you know the Bible's true? How do you know God, Jesus is really the Son of God? Bring them next week. They'll come. Find them. But for this week, the Lord keeps saying, going to focus on three big picture aspects of God this morning. One is his absolute sovereignty. One is his absolute holiness and justice. Absolute. So that's where we're going to go. So let's start with sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty. I love this, this passage we're going to get into. This is, this is the passage if you want to talk about the sovereignty of God. Uh, over all things. He has complete authority. Sovereignty means he reigns and has complete authority over it all. Right? Oh, complete power over it all. So we're going to get into Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's, let's read it together. It should be on the screen uh, in a moment. And it goes like this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him 
together. And he is the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have incredible passage. We're going to just walk through it together. The first, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. That's kind of the bummer about him. He's not, we don't see him all the time. We know he's there, but he's, we can't see him. But God made the, vis, the invisible visible in the person of Jesus. When we see Jesus, we are seeing the very face of God. Jesus wasn't created by God, isn't sub, submissive to God. He is God. So if you want to know who God is and what he's like, look at Jesus. Read about Jesus. Get into the Gospels and read who he is. That's how you know who God is. This is one of the passages where we get our key, key doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. All God. The second part of this passage. In him all things are created, heaven and on earth, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. The creator. Everything you lay eyes on, made. Everything, every rock, every, every tree, every animal, every person, even the man-made things were made from stuff that God made by the intelligence that God gave the person to make them. So all the chairs and the microphones and, and all the buildings and everything is all made by the hand of God. He created it all by the word of his mouth. He spoke it and it was in, it was in place. And what I love about that, so he's the source of it, but it says in this, this passage, it's created for him. He wanted it. He wanted us. He didn't have to do this. God is completely himself, but he wanted you and me. So he created us for himself. One of the really fascinating things we got to study when I was in, it was in seminary was early pagan creation stories. So the stories that came up about the pagan religions way back in the ancient times, the Babylonian times, the Syrian times, and the stories that came up with how they thought the world was created in people. What was fascinating about these stories is that almost in every case, the gods created mankind, this is in the, in the, the, the old ancient myths, that the gods created mankind to be their slaves. That people were to be the slaves of the gods and try to appease the gods. And if you gave the right sacrifice, you burned the right thing, whatever, you gave these sacrifices, you would appease the god and please them. And that way the god would send rain or fertility or the crops. But if you didn't give the right sacrifices, then the gods would punish you. Feel bad about that at all? No love there. No relationship. Slaves. This is one of the things that's so remarkable in our Bible. Because if you read the creation story given to us by the Holy Spirit of God, created us in Him. Part of Himself He placed in us. And He wants to be in relationship with us. He's like a father or mother to His child. He walked with Adam in the garden. The relationship that he wants with us. We are made for him. We delight him. Delight him. Let's keep going. In him all things hold together. It gets better and better, this passage. It's just, you should memorize it. That. It's a great passage. In him all things hold together. This verse is so striking to me. Because what it's essentially saying is that God is holding all things in his hand. 
the whole enterprise going. The earth, the solar system, the universe, us, our lives, our bodies. He's holding it all together. It's not like he created it all, set it in motion, and now he's over here having like coffee and snacks with the tree. <laughs> no, he is actively holding it all together. His hand is in it. And if he withdrew his hand, if he withdrew his creative energy, even now from the earth, then it would stop spinning. Your lungs would stop in air. The, the cells would stop reproducing. The whole thing would shut down. He's holding us in his hand. I think that's incredible. My father-in-law had an experience many years ago where he got bladder cancer. Time. Treatments for that were not really very good, and so it was kind of a grim diagnosis. Wondered if he would make it through it. He did, he used some newer treatments, and he managed to survive it a lot many years after that. But when he would talk about the experience later, maybe some of you can relate to this, if you have been near death, or face down death in your own life, is he said, I realized in life that every one of us has a sword right over our heads. That sword is being held by a very thin string. The string is being held. Our very life, life, breath that you breathe. Thank you that the air has come into your lungs, hearts beat, sun came up in the east, flowers are blooming. And finally, in this passage, it says he's before all things, head of the body, the church, the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's the Alpha and the Omega. All things are in him. He is over all of history, and he is sovereign over all of our lives. Is he supreme in your life this morning? Is he just an add-on or someone whom you give everything to, who is, has a supremacy in every part of your life? Does he have the supremacy in, in who you marry and how you spend your time? Does he have the supremacy in, in what you watch on TV? Does he have the supremacy in, in what kind of job you take? What kind of ministries you do here? Is he supreme? Because it says here in the scripture that in everything, he's going to be supreme in this church. Every ministry and every staff person, every leader. Because God is sovereign. All things. Say it. God is sovereign. God, God is sovereign. sovereign. Amen. All right. So we're going to move on. As if that wasn't good enough, we're going to go to his absolute holiness and justice. They're kind of linked together, which is why I put them together. But we'll start with his holiness. He's, he's perfect. God is perfect. And this is hard for us humans to understand because nothing we experience is perfect. Right? Even the best people you know, you're the best person you know. They're still not perfect, right? They still have issues, they still have problems. And even in the pagan world, the gods all had problems. They always had strange anger issues and vengeful actions. And just don't know anything like our God. God is nothing like God. is other. The word holy, it means set apart, apart from anything else. Anything we've experienced 
Nothing that we What's it like when you when you encounter something that's unlike anything you've ever seen? Something just grand and amazing that you've never seen before. What's your reaction? Paul and I took the kids a number of years ago to Machu Picchu in Peru. Anybody been to Machu Picchu? Incredible. In fact, we have a little picture of our little family. This is many years ago, so the little, the little guy is Nate, you saw last week, who's now 20. You would hate this picture. But, you know, <laughs> that was my three boys. We're at the top of this thing. It is a village that is set on top of this improbable hill. I mean, it's not a hill. Mountaintop. You go up a, a hair-raising road that, you know, it's dropping down 100 feet behind, beside you, and you go up this road to get all the way to the top. If you go to the next slide, you can see it without us blocking it. Um, so you can see, it's just this, this village set way on top of this mountain, and you're walking it around, and like just anywhere you go, you feel like you're just going to fall off. It's just, and they lived up here. Why they built it up here, I have no idea. Next slide gives you another sense of the perspective on this. Yeah, so you can see how steep it is. I mean, standing up, and you're just looking down all the time. It was just unbelievable. We've never seen anything like it. So our jaws were dropping. or struck silent. No words to describe what we were experiencing. Ocean coming over us and what we were seeing. How much more if we were to see the, the reaction of people in the face of God and fall down? Silent. The Lord is in his holy temple, all the earth. There's an incredible scene in Revelation that perhaps you've, you've heard before. This is describing what it's like in heaven. There's creatures and elders all around the throne of God. And here's what it says. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. It was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. Worship him. Our God. Awesome. No, no fault in him. No impurity. No error. Perfection. Which leads us to the absolute justice of God. They are late. Their holiness and justice. I mean, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures for this little section because there's just so much that's good. Habakkuk 1.13. It says, your eyes are too pure, talking to the Lord. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. See, God is so holy that he cannot tolerate evil in his presence. This is, this is the reason that we need the blood of Jesus to cover us with his righteousness so we can stand in his presence. Amen? We're going to talk more about that in a few weeks when we talk about who are we. But this is why we need Jesus, because he is so, so perfect. It's not that he's mean and vengeful. It's that he is perfection, and imperfection cannot fix But also because of this holiness, this means that God hates justice. He hates evil of all kinds. This is a passion of our God. It is who he is. In fact, it says in, in Psalm 99, 4, the king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord God and worship at his 
is not just about spiritual justice. It's about how we live on this earth together, how we care for one another. There's about that, too. There's a fascinating passage from Isaiah 5. I've been read in a long time, and I got to that. Wow. I love it, first of all, because it talks about the vineyard. So if you were here last week and I talked on about the vineyard and how God talks uh, in the Old Testament, would talk about Israel as the vineyard. Well, let, me, let me just read you a little bit from this. So he's talking about the vineyard. God's people. A loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. It with the choicest vine. Built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes. Yielded only bad fruit. Looked for good grapes. Why did it yield only bad? It goes on and compares to kind of explain what it's talking about. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. The people of Judah, the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness but heard cries of distress. See, God saw the, the bloodshed. He saw the distress, the injustices that his people were doing and how they did nothing. And he was angered looks for justice. He wants to see that that's fruit he wants from his vineyard. We should clean that mind as we think about our vineyard. So the passage then continues for another seven verses. Woe to you, woe to you. So he gets all the woes, the bad things that are going to happen to the people of Israel because they have been allowing this injustice to take place. And then, so people will be brought low and everyone humbled. The eyes of the arrogant humble. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. Holy God, proved holy righteous. You see that the greatness of our God, the holiness of our God, the perfection of our God, and not only does he, does he, can he not exist with evil, but he wants us, he wants to take away the effects of evil on us and our personal spiritual lives, but he wants also to see us take away those effects of evil. It should be people of justice. Talked about the absolute sovereignty of God, the absolute holiness and justice. I want to talk finally about the absolute love of God. The, another big picture quality of God that we have to talk about. And you would think, in a way, that this contradicts the holiness and the justice part, right? People tend to think of them as, as two separate things. This is the complexity of our God. This is why it really is going to take a lifetime to understand who is God. But I want to bring you a, a passage from Exodus. The, um, on the pastor pages that I looked on and asked for feedback, this verse did come up a lot. Uh, many, many said that this is how they describe God. So let's, let's read this, Exodus 34, 6-7. It says this, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means hearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You're like me, you're like, wait, what? What? Wait. <laughs> it starts out merciful, gracious, long-suffering, forgiving, and then suddenly it goes, but no, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity. See, God is both just, and there needs to be a payment for sin, and yet he is also forgiving and loving, so he's way for us. Commentators put it this way. 
These words point clearly to a holy God whose righteousness requires punishment of wrongdoing, but also a loving God whose mercy permits and provides forgiveness. So boil it down, distill it to its most precious essence. God is what theologians write volumes of. So it is the love of God that his love for his people. How I talked about the beginning, we're created in his image and he. He wanted us to be here. He delights in us. And so there's so much in Scripture about love, the love of God in Old Testament and New. Don't believe it when people tell you, oh, the Old Testament God is the vengeful, mean God, and the New Testament God is the loving God. Not true. First of all, there's a lot of tough stuff in the New Testament, but there's also a lot of God's love. Let me read you just a couple passages. Psalm 86.5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call. Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, chin one. Jeremiah 31.3, one of my favorite passages, the Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you. Old Testament. And then we get the New Testament. We have verses like 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own. Gives it him, should not pay. You see the love of God. It's all through history. It, it goes from the beginning to the end, from the creation of Adam and, and walking with him in the garden, wanting to be in relationship with him, loving him and Eve at the very beginning. It goes to him selecting the people of Israel, choosing them, calling them the apple of his eye, loving them even as they sinned against him, even as they followed out their gods, giving chance after chance after chance, being a forgiving and merciful God. Until finally coming and giving his son, Jesus Christ, his own son, his very own son, and watching him die a cruel death on the cross so that we could come to him. That's the love of God. And then he also, after that, created his church. And poured out gifts upon his church. And pours out love upon his church. And pours out his comfort upon his church. So that we can do his work. The love of God that is evidenced here. And then, if that's not enough. Because he's going to prepare a place. Now when we leave this earth, we're going to be in a place where there's no more death and no more dying. No more crying. No more, no more, no more death and hurt and heal. And there will be healing. We will be his people, and he will be our God. Amen. This is the love of God from beginning of end. The whole of scripture is about the love of God. What a God we serve. Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise you. A far-off love. Love that gives up the heart. It's not a love that loves you more when you're good and less when you're bad. No, whenever you speak of the love of God, something. Deepest pit. I love you at the highest heights and the deepest pit. There's no shame, there's no guilt before God that he still does not love you. And so these are the big picture concepts I want you to take away. God is sovereign, 
God is holy and just. God is love. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So much, so much more making your life so much God is. At the end of the day, the biblical writers themselves run out of words and they start saying things like, there's just no. Over and over again, here Hannah says it in Samuel 2. There's no one only like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. David says it in the Psalms in a number of places. He says it here in Psalm 86. Among the gods, there's none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you've made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring you glory. You are great and marvelous and do marvelous deeds. This faith we have is not just a casual hobby. It's not just something we pick up because it sounds fun. It's not just one religion. Eh, pick a religion. Which one works for you? I'll pick this one. There is no one like our God. No one. No one like our God. That's why we're here. Remember when I told you at the beginning, what does this mean to me? What is this going to mean for us as we walk away? This is why we come. Because he's a great and marvelous God. And he's worthy of all our praise. And he's worthy of, our, of giving our lives to. Whether we're serving in a grocery giveaway or we're, we're talking to somebody in our neighborhood or we're praying together and interceding for the people we're worshiping here or we're, whatever we're doing, we do it because we have a great and awesome, incredible God. That's why we do it. And this should also keep things in perspective, church. I want to ask you this morning, what's the thing that's in your mind that you think about when you go to bed at night? The problem that you have, the, the difficulty, the challenge you're going through, the trial that you're going through? Remind you this morning. Yeah. Is he big enough to take care of your problem? Yes. Is he loving enough to want to? Yes. Is he smart enough to figure it out? Yes. Why should I worry? Why should I fret? Why should I worry? And finally, this leads us back to worship. At the end of the day, as God's people. We are to be worshipers. And so knowing who he is, the greatness of our God, should call us to worship, should drive our hearts to worship. And I want us, I want us to do that now. I want us to worship him in a sense before we start to sing. I'm going to invite the band to get up here because I want us to right now, in this moment, as we're considering all that you've just heard about the greatness of our God, about the love of our God, about the, the holiness of our God, the sovereignty and supremacy of our God, would you begin to allow your heart to just well up in worship? In fact, you can even stand if you like. That helps you to, to engage your mind, but you can also stay seated. Let us, let us just begin to worship in our hearts. You can begin to allow in your, in your spirit praise to come. We honor you, God. We praise you. Close your eyes and hear of the greatness of your God. God, you are an ocean stretching out as far as the eye can see, vast and deep and unsearchable, God. God, you are a mountain. Praise you, Lord. Tall and majestic and solid as granite, unmoving, beautiful. Praise you, Lord. We lift you up, O Jehovah. O God, you are brilliant. You're brilliant. A genius in science and art and creativity and beauty, restoring, renewing, building. Praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We let praise lift up and well up within us, God. God, you're both mother and father. Nurture. 
God, you are a righteous judge. You are righteous in all your ways. And your judgments are good. Make us furious at injustice like you, God, because you seek justice for the oppressed and for the poor and for the foreigner and for those who are in need, Lord. You're righteous. Praise you, God. We lift up your, your name where we worship you this morning. And God, you are compassionate. Weep with us when we weep, oh God. You know our hurts, you know our hardships, God. You are present to heal. You are present to comfort. You're there in the deepest, deepest pit. Praise you, God. Oh God, you are diverse. Reflected in the many colors and languages, tribes and nations, every person made in your image you complex. Beautiful. Praise you, God. Praise you that you created us and you hold us all together, God. Every cell. God, you are sovereign king, reigning in glory on your throne in heaven, even now, God, where elders and angels and seraphim and every kind of creature bows down before you and gives you praise. You are majestic, oh God, in holiness. There is none like you, God. And you are coming again, Lord. You will ride in the clouds and you will come for us that we might see you in all your glory. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. We worship you, O oh God. 